0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: Have you heard of Long COVID? If you or someone you know have had COVID-19, you may still experience symptoms weeks or months later. There are many symptoms of long COVID, but the most frequent are extreme tiredness, shortness of breath, and muscle aches and joint pains. Anyone can experience long COVID, including children. You can find information in your language on the Health Translations website, healthtranslations.vic.gov.au. Just type long COVID as a keyword. A 3CR supporter. This afternoon to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the recovery programs that help those suffering directly or indirectly from addiction to drugs, alcohol, gambling and food our guests tell their recovery story and describe how sharing their experience has changed or even saved their lives. Today we're talking to Kate, Um, she's a member of Al-Anon Family Groups and today she's going to tell us uh, her story of growing up with alcoholism and how she came to find Al-Anon. So welcome today Kate. Thanks
0: Thanks very much Anne, thanks for inviting me on.
1: Look today we uh, we usually focus on your early life and then your life leading up to becoming a member of Al-Anon. So um, would you start us off, please, by just telling us a little bit about your family life early on?
0: Sure. And before I do that, I just would like to kind of place myself in the Al-Anon uh, story by saying that um, I've been in Al-Anon for over 30 years. And so today is going to be a very potted history of, of my recovery leading up to today. Um, and, and I guess I just wanted to mention that it will it will not deeply illustrate the tears, fears, frustration, and hopelessness um, that that I've experienced, like that hard work I've put in to to have what I have today. So and, you know, I, I just hope that someone listening may get something from it. And, um, and I guess to also say that this is my interpretation of the Al-Anon uh, program, um, and I don't represent Al-Anon as a whole. I think that's important. Uh, but my, uh, my childhood where I grew up in uh, a family of my mum and dad and four kids, there were four of us, uh, my dad was the daily drinker and the problem drinker, we would say in al and my mum was the reactor. Uh, so she, um, she reacted to dad's drinking. She reacted to life in general. Um, both my mum and dad had huge families on both sides. So I think dad had uh, 12 siblings and my mum had 11 so they all produced offspring, I know. So our family gatherings were just huge. And it's a really clear memory I have as a, a child um, going to family events. So there were lots of people, but I just remember the men were on one side drinking and the women were on the other side. And, you know, al has taught me that um, they were busy enacting the four M's, you know, managing, mothering, manipulation, <laughs> and martyrdom. And my mum was the youngest of, of her family, um, of the uh, 12 kids. So her younger, her, her older sisters taught her well, and some of her sisters were 20 years older than her. So really deeply ingrained Um disease of alcoholism essentially uh, I think it ran right through our whole family well it was evident to me um,
1: were, you, were you happy in that large family um in one way in some ways uh yes yeah, because it was a large family I mean
0: well you could um uh, it was that's a very interesting question and because uh My mum and dad bought a house not close to all of their siblings and we predominantly uh, socialised with my mum's side of the family. I don't know why we uh, didn't socialise with my dad's side of the family, but... um, Uh, so we would go to family picnics we would go to you know just kind of regular things maybe monthly I remember but we were quite isolated where we lived it was a um, a semi-rural place on the edge of town up in up in New South Wales and yeah I just got a sense that it was lonely for both of them they didn't connect with family members and so when we went I must say um Sadly, my mum was very affected by the disease of alcoholism. And one thing that she practiced hugely was judgment. And so she would judge everyone as wrong, as not quite right, as, and she'd do it before we arrive. Oh, I bet such and such is going to such and such. Mm-hmm. And so, us kids, we would kind of be primed to go into these family settings. Uh, with negative attitudes I have to say yeah and I had lots of fun with my cousins there's yep. no doubt about that but there was this you know what
1: a shame that we went in kind of with these glasses on yep. almost. yeah and I think that just that destroys intimacy doesn't it it, it, it interferes with the relationships and, and increases loneliness that judgment
0: well, definitely. I mean, we we had this huge family. And, again, that's a great insight, Anne, because you saying that, I believe every single person in my family of six, mum, dad, and us four kids were extremely lonely despite having that yeah. huge family. Uh, I, I, I'm not friends really with my cousins today. They all still exist and they've now got kids and grandkids. Um, just never... Gelled with the bigger family. Mm.
1: Tell me a little bit about um, uh, how you interacted with your parents, how you saw your parents.
0: Well, as I said, my dad was the drinker and my mum was the reactor. And dad, um, uh, he did, they had very clear roles. Dad drank and slept and my mum did everything else. And I mean everything else. So mum parented us, um, mothered and fathered us. Uh, Dad, um, he had a job where he got up very early in the morning and he was finished by lunchtime. He'd go to the pub from 12, come home at one minute to six to eat the plate of food on the table. He would um, watch television for half an hour. He would allow us to sit with him. He'd sometimes draw us pictures Um, but he would never ask about our day or any type of parenting or guidance or interest. Um, He would just wait for the meal to go down and then he'd go straight to bed and then, of course, get up and do it all again. So we rarely saw him um, and he wasn't a violent drunk, which I'm very grateful for. He was just a man who I now believe to be uh, deeply, deeply unhappy Um, And just grinding through life day by day and just basically working, drinking, sleeping, working, drinking, sleeping. And I don't know my dad's history. I know he was very poor in his family, but um, I can only imagine imagine that alcohol and trauma was there. But my mum managed that. She did everything else. And... Her silent rage at that was so compelling and so profound Um, and the effect it had on us kids was, um, you know, I remember coming home from school and mum would work. Mum sometimes worked two and three jobs and dad did too. Um, but I remember watching mum once, uh, it's a childhood memory, you know, really red-faced in the heat, exhausted after a full day of work, uh, peeling potatoes at the sink whilst listening to our um, homework, you know, we'd stand up by the sink and take turns in doing our times tables or whatever. And I just remember thinking what a miserable life that was. Um, Mum never went out. She never had friends. Um, where dad on the weekend he would go fishing (laughs) so if he wasn't doing that drinking working sleeping he'd fish yeah like he did not participate in the family life so my relationship with my dad was I used to he used to garden he used to grow tomatoes and enjoy growing veggies and so I grew veggies with him and he taught me how to mow the lawn Um, And then I used to mow the lawn from the age of 10, Um, clean the pool from the age of 10. And so he didn't have to do any of those things anymore. But I kind of used to get under the car and change the oil with him. You know, that was like a way of but you had to enter my father's world to to be around him because he had nothing to offer. He never spoke to us. He never chastised us. And it still amazes me, thinking back, that he was there every single day, but he offered nothing. He never asked the question, how was your day at school? Mm. And that's quite profound, isn't it?
1: It is, it is <laughs> profound. It also it sounds very much like a, a, perhaps a typical Australian male of that time that the the fathering role wasn't a very complex one at that time
0: yeah but usually they were the authoritarian they were the authority figure and dad never chastised us he never smacked us he never he never raised his voice Mm -hmm. it was just extraordinary and that that fact um had a profound impact on me when I Started working, which I will we'll talk about uh-huh. um, later. Uh-huh. But yep. uh, my mum was the boss, yep. and she did a bloody good job. You know, yep. she did everything, yep. and so she ruled us with an iron rod. The denial, the silent treatment, the managing, the martyring. Um, I, she was not a nice person. We loved Dad. We liked Dad, and we
1: didn't like Mum. Yep. Kate, so it sounds very much like uh, that your relationship with your father was quite benign um, and that somehow that the alcoholism really affected you via your mother in an indirect way. So could you talk about that a little bit? Well, that's
0: it. That's exactly it, Anne. Um, it, it was, and because Dad did most of his drinking at the pub, we didn't even see him. Alcohol being consumed in the home. So I remember when I first got to Al-Anon, I thought, oh, do I, do I actually, you know, fit here? Because everyone was talking about, you know, the effects of alcohol being, you know, violence in the home, et cetera, et cetera, and seeing the drinking. Um, so it was, it was very benign, as you said, that's a great word for it. It was like a silent sleeping giant. And mm-hmm. because it affected every, every area of our lives and my life. And um, so, so how, how it affected us was um, my mum had to build a life around pretending what was happening wasn't happening. And so I had, I had school friends that said, "Oh, your family's really posh. You know, mm. you're, you're, you've got this perfect life." So that speaks to how well my mum did in creating this shiny facade. And oh, she and as I said, and I didn't appreciate it at the start but in my Allenon uh, early days, um, I blamed her for who I was. Um, as a young adult, you know, crazy and dysfunctional. But now I look back and, I mean, my mother was a superwoman, you know, mm. how she did it, mm. I actually don't know. Um, I actually don't know. Um, but, but essentially we, we um, I mean, I, we never knew our grandparents because Mum and Dad were the youngest of that huge amount of children, so those grandparents were long long gone by the time we came along. but I suspect and I've heard little things that both sides of the family, um, both my mum and my dad, were adult children of alcoholics so that that you know just that uh, generational effects both uh, both really obvious, but it's the subtle ones that I still need to work on thirty odd mm. years later, and I don't think they'll ever go away. You mm. know, that's what Alanon does for me is to uh, help me recognize that that family of origin stuff will be with me until the day I die. Yep. Yeah,
1: and it sounds to me like your mother may have brought then, if she was an adult child of an alcoholic, that 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 denial, that sense of shame, that secrecy from her family of origin, because the story you're telling about your father, I was trying to imagine why that made your mother so rageful and controlling, uh, but perhaps mm-hmm. she was already rageful and controlling before she met your father. That's right. That's right. And we will never know that. But
0: uh, those, those words, you know, secrecy was, uh, was the, the main aim in our family that we pretended everything was fine. But it wasn't spoken about. It was just the facade that we had to maintain the facade. So the beautiful house, the beautiful garden, uh, the pressed uniforms that were perfect, the perfectly plaited braids. um, it It was incredible. Where in reality, behind that door, we bounced along from day to day. Plans were never made. We just... Uh, you know, there was low expectations of life and it resulted in little disappointments. We just, I know often uh, when I'm sharing in meetings, I talk about uh, it was like we all got up in the morning and got into our own Dodgeham car and then the electricity started and off we went for the day and just bumped into one another, bumped into walls and went, oh, not that one. Just no reasoning no thinking things through there were there was no structure it was just surviving and hanging on and not allowing anyone to know the truth so secrecy ruled yeah Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm.
1: that's that that really the Dodgeham cars that really captures that sense of isolation and and that lack of intention in the family so the things being run by Pure, as you say, survive or fear, really isn't it? It's being um, run by the engine is fear. It's not mm. an intentional way of uh, living.
0: That's it. That's it. And fear of uh, what? And that's the question. And today, um, it's it's you know my mum is uh, still fearful. She never found Alanon. Um, I'm the only one in my family that did. And mum still, you know, lives with all of those dysfunctions and it's fear of what I can never quite understand.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it's fear of life itself almost mm-hmm. um, and it's I, I know why now, again, Alanon has taught me there was mum had no life rules to guide her, to assist her, to support her through like one plus one does equal two. Where in mum's mind, I think sometimes it might have thought, she might have thought, well, perhaps it could be three or it could be
1: four today. Mm. Like she couldn't trust
2: mm-hmm.
1: life. It was very interesting. Mm. She couldn't trust anything but her own um, systems. The, the, whatever she worked out seemed to keep her safe.
0: That's well, it what did. She, that's what it she did. Could, uh, trust. That's right, Anne. It it. That's what I said before. she was incredibly successful. She almost killed herself in the in the effort mm. um, and and it taught us uh, kids to live in a very bizarre way because we thought that was a normal family yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, and as I got older and started mingling with other kids and becoming a teenager, I fast realized that our yep. family wasn't normal. Yep. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, Kate, look, we're, we're going to go to a break. Um, and after we come back from the break, um, we can talk um, more specifically about how that impacted you as you um, grew up and came into your adult life. So thank Thanks. you. Very much. Thanks, Sam. And to take us into the break, here's Jess Chalker with her song Stupid Trick.
0: The Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion, and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Commons Social Change
1: Library is a 3CR supporter. Living free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3CR.org.au forward slash streaming. The song you heard just before was uh, Jess Chalker with um, Stupid Trick. I'm talking to Kate today about recovering from the family disease of alcoholism with Alan on Family Groups um, and we're just going to start um, now moving on to Kate's um, experience coming out of that family that she just described um, into her young adult life. So, Kate, tell us a little bit about that, who, who you were as you emerged into adulthood.
0: Mm. Well, my um, my relationship with my mum was so fractured that I left home as quickly as possible. So I left home at 16 and it was... Um, I started full-time work when I was fifteen. Uh, my mum said that I needed to leave school at uh, year ten, and uh, and get a stable job. And I, 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 I still, I, I was just rebelling. I was very naughty at school. Um, I was following my sister, who was very intelligent, and it was like that role had been filled. And so <laughs> I played another role, which was constantly being naughty and, um, <laughs> and you know, I'm, just as we move, I think it's just really important and just to mention that the relationships with my family members were all fractured, but I was never quite sure why. And, and that kind of led into those early years of me um, uh, working if someone didn't fit my perception of them then they had failed in some way like it was a test that they didn't even know that they were undertaking um, you know I would judge them as wrong and then I'd try and change them to fit what I thought they needed to be so it was just chaos and and that um, that uh, that that set of life skills they so Um, didn't set me up for young adulthood. And, you know, when I say adult, I'm thinking about myself starting work at 15. Wow. And I actually remember being on um, a train, um, an old red rattler and being by myself and going into town. And it was about an hour and a half on the train. And I remember feeling quite frightened that I was not going to um, get off at the right stop and I remember I used to stand up as soon as we hit near the city and stand near the door you know again that not trusting isn't it interesting and yeah. not looking at perhaps the timetable to see that it was four stops you know yeah. to help me to help me relax into life and trust yeah. so that's I've never thought of that before that's very interesting all of those little things i believe come from the family disease
1: of alcoholism yeah mm. And it sounds, it sounds as though, Kate, that you're um, you've uh, unconsciously um, absorbed some of your mother's um, coping strategies. Uh, and uh, what I'm hearing is self-reliance. So I'm not going to rely on the train driver or the timetable. Uh, I'm going to rely on myself. Yeah. And that's that yeah. seems to be. And that's coming out of that isolation. I think yeah and that's exactly it so I went from school to being on this train an hour
0: and a half each way into town doing a full-time job with adults wow and I was 15 and I was just 15 so that's extraordinary but you know in those early teenage years my friends and I joined them engaged in lots of drinking and going out you know, and partying and stuff, but alcohol seemed to be the only thing you did outside of work. You know, it was like it was like alcohol was everywhere. <clears throat> so it was in my family, but I didn't kind of see it. But my friends, my friends' families, you know, you'd go over to their place, and their dad and mum'd be drinking. It was just it seemed to be everywhere, and and I tried to join in, but I. I, I stopped, I stopped drinking and became the designated driver because everyone else would go woo and go up and I would actually almost flate. I would, it just didn't do what, it didn't seem to do what they were doing for them. So I was very popular <laughs> as a designated driver and people used to come to me the next day and say, who do I need to apologise to? <laughs> <clears throat> so it was very interesting. I became I mean, I don't know why Drink and I didn't, um, you know, get on. Um, But it put me in a position of power over the people who had gotten drunk and perhaps had some black, you know, blacked out or what. And so they'd come to me and I kind of had the power to say, oh, boy, you know, you need to go and talk to such and such. That's quite interesting. I've never actually realised that before. It is a, it's, it's control. Yes. And perhaps drinking, uh, you know, you drink too much and you lose control. So perhaps that's why I didn't like drinking.
1: Mm. Yes, that does sound mm. logical. You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent
0: community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Yes, that's interesting. Anyway, look, in my early years, they all stayed on at school. And so I was very lonely. I was young. I was lonely. I'd lost my whole friendship network, because they all went on at school. And of course, we grew apart, you know, I, they were, they were headed somewhere that I wasn't. And by that point, I realized, I I didn't know who I was, I didn't know what I liked in life. I didn't know what I wanted to do in life, I just had no idea who I was. It was just a profound deficit of uh, self worth, self esteem, self understanding, there was nothing. And so as you said earlier, Anne, I was mirroring, uh, just holding it together, like my mum did, you know, not not engaging in life, but feeling like life was being done to me, and that I just had to endure it one one, you know, day after day after day. Mm. and as i as i grew older my intimate relationships were dysfunctional and and i i admit that you know i hadn't found on yet so um you know, I think I was subconsciously trying to replicate my parents' relationship. Mm. You know, and I'd do that. I'd, I'd choose drinkers, mm. um, and sometimes I'd start drinking again mm. <laughs> to join them, mm. and then yes. I'd say, "Oh, you know, I think we need to stop drinking," so I would stop drinking. <laughs> you yeah. know, all the all yeah. the business. Yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, I I I I just. I had no idea who I was. So who what who was I presenting in those relationships? I don't know. And yeah. of course they they didn't um they didn't work. So leading up to my time in Al Anon, I, I joined when I was 25. Um, and a new partner actually dragged me into the rooms uh, saying that I needed what was on offer. And I always, she was a member of another 12-step program, and I always wonder what she had seen or heard that prompted that action, you know?
1: In uh, you, what she saw in you, you mean? Yes, yes. Um,
0: what she saw and heard in me, you yeah, know? Yeah, yep. And what I, I know it.
1: I, was, what do you think it was, Kate?
0: well I, I i i just I never listened I pretended I knew everything um, and I didn't know much uh, I played the life of the party but I never engaged in true conversation mm. um, my friendships always lurked near the surface it was always a threat in some way and therefore fleeting it was I just didn't i the, and it's quite interesting in this combo, trust keeps coming up, mm-hmm. you know, just trust mm-hmm. in life, trust, mm. trust in just moving through. I had no trust and I was relying on myself constantly. I couldn't mm. let anyone else in. Um, and I knew, I knew in my early 20s, uh, you know, with failed relationships left, right and centre, I knew that there was it was me, that there was something wrong with yes. me. But it wasn't self-hatred. It was like a growing understanding that um, I I did life in this almost self-defeating way. Mm. Um, So I started using self-help books, you know, um, and I I, I don't think they they didn't help me. The only way they helped me was that they actually uh, uh, deepened my understanding that something was
1: wrong with me. (laughs) good that's a good first step
0: yes yes so that is self-help isn't it not in the way that I think those authors expected, (laughs) but still (laughs) so yeah so I I um I started uh going to Al-Anon and
1: um now you just did you just go on just did you just think oh Okay, that, my partner's given me something that sounds something worth pursuing or were you actually at some kind of crisis point or some sort of rock bottom?
0: No, I, 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 I think I had been bobbing along the bottom for, I don't know if I ever got up off the bottom. And to be honest, <laughs> and, and can I say, it's not a criticism. Once again, my, my mother did the most exceptional job of bringing us up um uh my fa- you know my dad was like the fifth child we all lived uh, a safe and uh healthy life you know we were well tended and um i it, it was it was the insidious stuff that made that's making me say that i don't think we ever got off the bottom um just learning to uh dream and hope and reach for goals and set them and then work hard to achieve them all of that stuff that's what i mean by just bobbing along the bottom yeah, yeah.
1: Um,
0: i was aimless i was yeah. aimless and i think that's what they saw mostly in me that they said right we're your off partner.
1: <laughs> your, your partners yeah yes yeah. Yes, yes, yes okay yeah. uh all right so um so you went along to alan on so what how did that feel, or what were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I was quite
0: new in the relationship, so I think I just thought, oh well, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do this, you know, for them. Um, and, you know, of course, as we all say, we enter the rooms and uh, we hear, we hear our own stories. Uh, but I entered the room as a victim. And, you know, when I was when it was explained to me what it was, it was like, yeah, well, my dad was the alcoholic and, you know, and life has been, you know, I was the victim of life. I was the victim of my family, my mother, my father, my friends, my job, everything caused me to feel that life uh, was almost attacking me and that I was a victim. Um, and so that I have to say that white hot anger at being a victim and I aimed it at my mother. So within the rooms, I, you know, I learned the language of, you know, your qualifier, you know, family of origin, yada, yada. I realised that I was an adult child of an alcoholic. I started hearing people, people who were also new in recovery, who were also raging. Mm. um and they're the people that I listen to mostly mm. when I think now rather than those steady wonderful souls who who actually had some recovery <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> sitting uh unconditionally loving and listening um I went you know yes I relate to that <laughs> yes I relate yes isn't it terrible um and so I didn't get the program for a long time and but I did keep going back because well because of the magic of the program but mm. um, it seemed like a safe space mm. um, and people didn't stop me from raging
2: mm. about
0: and about my situation and so the more the more I attended It's quite interesting. I think of my recovery in like three stages because it's been, you know, as I said, over thirty years. Um, And the first stage, it was rage for quite a few years, and I couldn't hear. I couldn't hear the the what the program had to offer. I couldn't hear the steps. I did the steps well. I remember doing step four very quickly, <laughs> um, and it was fearless, but it certainly wasn't uh, you know thorough and moral. Um, i I was still holding on tightly, I think, but that that space to rage, I know that doesn't sound like recovery.
1: Well but it sound, it exactly. sounds like I'm uh, being listened to. You know, it sounds uh, yes. it's quite a that's a profound thing that that you don't get told not to rage because that rage is the truth of you at that point.
0: And that that's right. And that's how I that was the only way I seemed to be able to express myself. So Alanon was teaching me that I was an adult child that the family of origin uh, issues caused family disease and the more I learned about it the more angry I yes. got yeah so it was like I it was like a, a, a schooling in the family disease and yeah. it's like right this is the way this is why I am what I'm like this is why I can't do life so the anger didn't didn't disperse. It actually grew in the yeah. early days, mm. and I look back now, and I'm just so grateful that people didn't say, "Oh, uh, you know, just, just mm. shut up now." All yeah. right, <laughs> they let me just get it out, yeah. and I'm so grateful for that. And you know, even though I was raging, I'm still listening. I'm still attending. So even turning up to meetings regularly was a commitment and that's a little bit of structure yeah you know and that would be like the first bit of adult structure I had in my life I actually committed to going weekly and was like wow yeah so something it's this is the magic of Al-Anon isn't it
1: something
0: if you're ready something something holds you there it welcomes you
1: yeah. yeah and you just had to get your bum on the seat and wait yep
0: that was it and I I took what I liked and I left the rest and I really left the rest yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know the steps tradition slogan serenity and higher power oh, no, yeah. way,
1: no way too smart for that <laughs> Okay, we're going to take a break there and we'll be back shortly. Thanks.
0: Yarra Bicycle Users Group
1: Radio, 10am every Monday morning on Community Radio 3CR. Also live streaming on the web and weekly podcasts at 3cr.org.au.
0: So listen in for the very latest bicycle stories, news and views from Melbourne and around the cycling universe. Listen in.
1: This is Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And I'm talking with Kate about recovering from the family disease of alcoholism with Al-Anon. Kate, so you've gone to your first Al-Anon meeting and you're raging against your your um, alcoholic uh, family situation.
0: Indeed, <clears throat> and I continued raging. It wasn't just that first meeting, it was... Uh... It was a long, long time, and, you know, I remember I could list in minute detail the exact nature of everyone else's ills, <laughs> and I was blameless, you know. I just, uh... but anyway, look, I, I, I understood. I learned in the early days that my family had lived in silent, oppressed chaos and that it was um, uh, not a way of living successfully. And, again, because my father, because there wasn't trauma through uh, violence uh, dealing with alcoholism, it was so subtle, uh, my disease. and um, But Al-Anon helps everyone no matter what, what you've experienced. So um, I, 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 I said before that I had three stages. So I went from white hot rage through to hope. And so once I had um, uh, been listened to, as you said, um, and could voice and begin to articulate my uh, early years and the strange ways of being that my mum used to bring us up and survive, and then I embraced them myself and began to use them in my early adult life. I moved from that to hope. And hope's a lovely thing. Uh, But uh, because I was still full of shortcomings and dysfunction, um, it was another uh, weapon I used. So the hope was that if I did the program well, I could change my mum. I could change her or I hoped that mum would see me as this changed person. Mm. So um, it was very bizarre. So I I was starting to embrace the steps and the traditions. So the more I learned about the actual program and applying it to my daily life, the better I became, and I've often spoken about uh, Alanon reparenting me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So the steps and the traditions gave me a structure. They gave me principles and values, and it was like ah, oh. and all of a sudden one plus one equal two, and I could be absolutely assured of that. And that was remarkable. That was kind of the first glimpse of. Um, a a functional stability that I could have in my life. And, and I must say, in in that relatively early stages, still, it was only while I was in the room, did Mm -hmm. I feel it, and then I'd go back out into my um, everyday life. And I wouldn't take it with me as much as what I now do. Um, But again, as my recovery grew, um, Al-Anon was just with me all the time. But the the hope that I had was very destructive and it was very interesting my relationship with my mom I thought I knew better now mm-hmm. because you know I had something over my mother you know I knew about the family disease and I, I could now appreciate what she had done but now I wanted her to see me as this wonderful person. And she just continued on her dysfunctional way, and didn't see that. Um, And that, of course, makes me not a fabulous person. (laughs) I'm still controlling, I'm still, you know, it's this iron will. So, you know, thinking of those steps, and step three made a decision to turn my will on my life, I used to say the words and sort of do it. And that's what I like about this program is that you can do it in all sorts of, um, all sorts of levels. And as I've moved through, you know, the level is now so deep. I feel like I live those steps. I don't get them right all the time, but I, I live into them. Um, I, I take them everywhere with me. I have them uh, when I think something through. I, I use the steps and the traditions um so so I realized uh that and I guess this is the well I must say um my mum so so disrespected me (laughs) it was shocking it was almost like it ramped up not down and I would go back time and time again despite her treatment of me and I remember my brother once Uh, said to me, why do you keep going back? Because I used to get so upset after these visits, you know, why? Why can't she see me? Why can't she hear me? Why can't she, you know, dot, dot, dot? And so my brother said, why do you keep going back? And I said, hope, you know, hope that things will change. Well, you know, of course, he didn't get it. um, But I've realised that um, I was accepting unacceptable behaviour from my mum. I I hope that things will change, but it was not things, it was mum will change, but I used to say things. And, you know, he didn't get it and I didn't get it, but upon reflection and further recovery, you know, I just began to understand that I was accepting unacceptable behaviour. It wasn't working for either mum or myself. So the hope was damaging me mostly so i realized that it was another form of control and i had to learn to let go of the hope you know hope for change just focus on me and that was the third stage of my recovery
1: can i and, can i uh, i'm just really struck by the image of of someone trying to um ch- change or control someone who's built a life being the controlling one it would be it would be impossible for you to change your mum given who your mum is
0: well and she was my teacher Anne. you're quite right it's like the student and the teacher and I was a great student and I could change my mother you know she thought she could rule the world and you know that was the and so even though that sounds like I anon wasn't helping it was it was like I was moving through in stages and it was the last shred of trying to control yeah and it came in that in that uh, guise guise of hope yeah and when I realized the unacceptable behavior that I was accepting and that the, uh, the concept of hope was damaging me. That was a real breakthrough to, to letting go and, sorry, and truly letting go of wanting to change anyone. And I just started to focus on myself. And once I did that, it was like magic. I increased my meetings. Of course, I had increased them already from one, one day a week. Um, and... I began to, I got a sponsor, I began to do the steps. I just really leapt into it and I just let everyone go. And I used to see my mum, but I used to see her in very short spaces of time and I would, you know, uh, leave whenever I felt the dysfunction or my control coming up. So um, my relationship with my mum has just changed so dramatically As soon as I stopped hoping she would change, the changes in me via al were like a magic ingredient. And the more I didn't try and change her, the more she started seeing me Mm. and hearing me and asking me questions about my
1: life. It was just like a miracle. It was like a miracle. Just listening to that, it's it's so counterintuitive to think if I just let go... Everything will get better, and in, in ways that you couldn't, beyond your your hopes, your best hopes, and and that's that's the, the the miraculous part of it, and and that makes takes us into kind of almost religious language, like miracle. Can you talk a little bit about the, those those two steps? Because I, I was reminded of step two about being restored to sanity, and the insanity of coming up against someone who's not changeable. Um, mm-hmm. And then also, you talked earlier about the the step step three, which has got a weirdness about it. You know, hand your will and your life over to something greater than yourself. Again, it's taken us into the realm of counterintuitive behavior, almost for some people. Mm. I think. Can you talk mm. about those things a bit? Well, it's 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 uh,
0: stopping the struggle. Um, it's, it's putting down the rope, you know. Alan, on, I've heard it spoken about the tug of war, and you pick the rope up, and you know, uh, any kind of uh, dysfunction or other people's dysfunction or other people, place, and things are on the other end of that, that rope. And you pick up the rope and you start trying to control and drop the rope, drop. The rope just don't pick it up, and that's really what um, step three means for me. But step two came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Um, I, I I know it has today. Again, I'm not perfect. It's uh, you know progress, not perfection. But you know today, when I look at my mum, <clears throat> I can I can place the disease down like a template at her feet and recognize her hurt, her pain, her loneliness, her puzzlement about life. And I love her, you know, and I get a bit teary, you know, the poor bugger, you know, she just, she missed out on this wonderful, um, wonderful program, you know, and she continues to live Um get into that dodging car every day you know discontentment lack of planning lack of critical thinking you know constant criticism of the people places and things even though she's very elderly and now failing in health but you know my recovery has given me so much and you know I can love her and I can care for her so I'm providing care which she's accepting which is just it really, that is a miracle. But for me, and and, and that's lovely, and my mum has featured in all of my stages of, uh, of my Al-Anon recovery, but Al-Anon has given me just the most extraordinary other gifts so that I'll be forever grateful for, that I have found some measure of um, happiness and contentment with my mum, and I just didn't think that that would ever come. But al given me uh, my recovery and working the steps in the program. I can concentrate now. So I have an ability. I grew an ability to concentrate, an ability for quiet contemplation through prayer or meditation um, or just appreciation of nature, just sitting and being in the present. Rather than that worrying that constant worry about the what ifs um, that those those skills have allowed me to as a as a um, quite an uh, an adult student uh, what is it what they call it mature age student <clears throat> go back and study and do a degree and then do my master's and have and you know, I'm not dumb, as my mum constantly told me. You know, you'll never be like your sister. That's why you've got to leave school early. <clears throat> I'm clever, I'm actually intelligent, and I grew a beautiful career that was successful, where I could help others. And and I I have self-esteem today. I have self-worth. I know I am contributing to to society. And that's just That's just, it's just unbelievable. And the and the best part of my recovery is, uh, I think I was about five years into my recovery, and I met someone where I had enough recovery that I I um, I could do relationships differently. And my current partner is that partner. And we've been together for uh, 28 years. And if, if my recovery hadn't been present, we would never have met, I'm sure, you know, just those two universes would have been too far apart. But I needed my recovery to be able to Mm. uh, keep up with my partner's functionality. (laughs) My partner comes from a very functional family and I used to sit there in the early days with my head on the side, just going, these people, this is not real. (laughs) They're
2: listening to one another.
0: (laughs) They're being respectful. It was extraordinary. So I needed my my successful relationship tells me about my successful uh, recovery you know it's real and and that and that really um, that really tells me a lot when I when I think of that yeah so I've I've got my life back I've got a life now you know and the disease of alcoholism has shrunk down it's so tiny. It's still there, yes. you know. If I don't attend meetings, if I don't do the program, uh, if I think I know better yep. <laughs> and take back control, pick up that rope, yep. um, it, it comes back very quickly, and I can get confused, and you know, and and uh, my self esteem lessens. So it's it's dial it up or dial it down, yes. and that's my choice. Yeah. yeah. Wow.
1: Well, Kate, that uh, takes us to the exact minute at which we must end the show. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. So that was great. Thanks, Anne. I've really enjoyed talking to you too. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Kate. If you would like to find out more about Alan family groups, then you can phone them on 1300 252 666 or go online at alanon.org.au for more information about meetings or phone contacts throughout Australia. That's all we have time for today, so I'd like to thank Kate again for joining me and sharing her. Alan on Family Group's recovery experience with us. I hope that you'll be able to listen again next week when we will be talking about recovery from addiction. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR.
0: You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.